Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in our topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today we're going to drop back into our TNR 2.0 interview session. And in a few minutes, we're going to welcome Michael Kravchik to the conversation. But first, let's set the stage here. Greg and I have been friends for a long time. And Greg, I think we're going to go on hiatus for a couple of weeks. Are you going away chasing a little white golf ball or something? I, I am. I'm looking forward to it. My, my, I, have these, I have these friends, they're high school friends, and we go every year. And man, they're like little kids. We have a WhatsApp channel uh, that we, we group, group, group spot, and I'm getting pictures of the temperature in Myrtle Beach and uh, all these other things. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, we're, we're looking forward to it. We always have fun. So this is the group that on Fridays, I am the second or third alternate for the the friendly golf game. Is this the group? Yeah, the gift of, uh, you know, there was many things that COVID was bad about, but COVID uh, resulted in us starting a nine holes at Shadok Golf Course in in Hamilton. Every hole is uphill, it seems. Every, yeah, great, great exercise, 20 bucks or 21 bucks to play nine holes, so... Hey, uh, my Scottish heart skips, and uh, and uh, it also works hard walking uh, with my friends. So yeah, these are the these are the folks that do this. And once a year, we splurge and go down to um, somewhere warmer and uh, enjoy each other's companies. We're, none of us are really great golfers, but we have great friendship. So that's uh, that is it. I can attest to the golfing level because I'm on that par as well. But uh, so you've chosen golf over work and family and the podcast. Is that correct? That is that is exactly okay. correct, and and then I come back for three weeks, and then I go to Italy with my other group of friends to walk St. Francis Assisi pathway. So I'm living a pretty sweet little uh, spring here so far. I have to say, you are, you are, you are. And then we're not even going to talk about the summer vacations that you take. So let's con- <laughs> so let's continue on. Uh, Greg and I have spent a big chunk of our careers as managers or leaders. We've both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. We have been hosting this podcast series about uh, how us and others have missed the mark for almost three years now, Greg. And uh, as we've worked through this podcast series, we realize that there might be others that have had experiences that aren't our own. So let's invite them to have a seat at the table at the diner and have a discussion. And as with everything we do, we want to have a good, healthy conversation. And from our warm-up, Greg, I think we're going to have a really good conversation. I think so too. Looking forward to it. So we'd like to welcome Michael Kravchik to the conversation. Michael, welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. Michael has a great setup there. We don't usually do Zoom, uh, but uh, uh, we were having some discussions about uh, mics and stuff like that, and we could have gotten carried on for an hour about uh, technology, I think. Yeah, this is uh, probably podcast number like 400 or 450 for me in the past like three years, so uh use use these mics just a little bit <laughs> michael i'm just going to introduce uh our listeners to you so uh, michael is the founder and ceo of LumiQ, a podcasting platform that provides cpas with verified professional development through engaging conversations with business leaders LumiQ mission is to make professional education enjoyable which is a very good thing and has created a master class of professional development by marrying interesting content With a modern mobile app experience, guests on the platform include the CEO of Nike, founder of BlackBerry, inventor of Amazon Alexa, the CFOs of Google, Yelp, Yahoo, Shopify, and more. Prior to founding LumiQ, Michael had his entrepreneurial career as a CFO, COO of wearable technology startup, 
gesture logic. Michael graduated from the Richard Ivy School of Business and began his career in audit at Ernst & Young, earning his CPA designation before moving into risk management consulting at Protaviti. Michael has also completed an MA in international affairs, specializing in counterterrorism while working at Scotiabank in that capacity. So welcome, Michael. Oh my goodness! Like I'm, I'm super excited. First of all, I'm, I'm a little intimidated by the uh, the people <laughs> that you've interviewed, but I'm super excited to really get to know you a little bit more. What a great background! Uh, I love. have been lucky to interview a lot of people who I think are, it's safe to say, are um, verifiably better leaders than I am. So hopefully, uh, I can at least share some of their practices here. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know what? We all have those journeys and we all learn from others. And we also, you know, we do some things ourselves really well and 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 we, we do some things not so well. And the key is whether we learn from it or not. And this is really what this podcast is about, is really sharing the things we've done well, the things that we haven't done so well, the things that we've seen and uh, both good and bad as well. So we'll, why don't we dive right into it? Um, uh, first of all, I got, I have to ask uh, anti-terrorism, uh, like how did that, how did you get to that? This is not a part of our questions. And as Alistair <laughs> said in the setup, we always, at least with me, we zip a little bit around, but tell me a little bit about that. I have to know. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, you know, the, uh, I guess the, 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 the dirty trick there is that actually the, uh, focus of my master's wasn't in counterterrorism; It was just in terrorism. But people tend to look at me strange when I uh, when I say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I did I did a fair bit of counterterrorism stuff as well. Honestly, it came out of it came out of interest. I've always been a big history nerd, geopolitics nerd, and um, I was I was you know working as first an auditor and then uh, and, and then in risk management consulting, and it just wasn't it wasn't connecting with what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I decided to kind of take a flyer and and I, I found out about this great program. It's based in Ottawa at the Norman Patterson School of uh, International Affairs. And they had a focus in that area that was that was interesting to me. And so I just went and did it. And it was it was a great I mean, it ended up being, I guess, a year and a half, almost two year detour in my life because I, I I did work at Scotiabank in that capacity a little bit, but um, but very quickly moved to a, a totally different career trajectory. But it was a lot of fun. It taught me a heck of a lot about, um, number one, the academic method, which I was, you know, I mean, I was a business school grad, so I, I was never doing, you know, real academics in the way that, that you might think of it. So it really introduced me to and, and gave me exposure to that whole world of things. And uh, and I hopefully also made me, uh, uh, gave me a little bit of writing skills and research skills and, and other skills that I am using uh, throughout my career, so so I it, it was it was a lot of fun. I, uh, I I I had a lot of fun doing it, but uh, ultimately it wasn't wasn't where the rest of my life should be. I don't think I would have been great working in the in the government. <laughs> well, you know what I love I love that, and we'll go into the questions because part of the journey, and we share this with often uh, in our in our episodes that that opportunity to explore, you know, to just uh, some to to know where you're at. And to, to really kind of gauge, is this something that's challenging me? Am I growing? Am I learning? If it's not, keep your eyes open because there's probably something around you that will inspire you and grow. And it might not be your final pathway, but everything is like a, a component 
to your learning map of where you're going to go. So I think that's just really cool. Well, this, well, this actually we... might tie into uh, what we're talking about in this in this episode to an extent because this was one of the and I really feel bad because I forget the gentleman's name, but when I was at Ernst and Young, he was a very senior partner and he said something to me that really, really stuck. And and I think this really did accord to the kind of leadership that existed within Ernst and Young. Um, he said, don't worry about creating a career path, create a career trail. And what he meant mm. by that was, you you, you know, you, you try to make your, what's the, the cliche line? You make your five-year plan and God will laugh at you or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that if you if you create a career trail as in develop skills and capabilities and and you know continue to build on those as you keep going opportunities will arise and you can decide which ones to jump at or or, or which ones not to but as long as you're kind of always delivering for the people that you're working with and you're creating a great um let's call it both reputation for yourself and toolkit then your career can take all sorts of weird, um, you know, meanders, which I certainly have have experienced, and I'm I'm happy that I have. Wow, you know that's that's such great wisdom, and I, and and it's funny because sometimes you think in the firms there is only one career pathway. It's you go yeah. here, then you go here, then mm -hmm. you go here, and you go here. And there's a book recently that I read called The Squiggly Career, which is this great thing about, it kind of shows a kid's drawing of squiggles. And <laughs> yeah. that's almost what you described there. So so that, that's pretty amazing that you would have been uh, fortunate to have that experience of a leader who thought that in, in a kind of a, an a industry that probably is more generally more traditional, I would think. Yeah. I mean, uh, two things on that. I mean, this person was so senior that, you know, he, he probably didn't touch the day to day of my life very much. Like I remember this was one of the kind of global leading, leading partners. And that's why it was a very memorable, um, interaction. Um, but on top of that, uh, you know, I, I ended up not wanting to be an auditor for the rest of my life, uh, which I'm probably, you know, not the only one in the world. Uh, I speak to <laughs> lots of CPAs all the time and that, that, that happens quite a bit, but at least at the time when I was there, Ernst and Young was very, I guess you, the right word is maybe progressive about mm. like, you know, there, a, the firm itself is so big and there's so many different, um, um, you know, lines of, of, of business that you can, you can move into, but they were also big fans of what they call boomerangs, which is mm. people that leave the firm and then end up coming back. And I remember, I'll, I'll always remember the day that I quit, um, the, the partner that I worked for, um, for the most part brought me into his office and he said, congratulations, where are you going? And I told him, and we had a great conversation about it. And, and I'll always remember that when I left, the firm, at least at the leadership level, there were definitely other people that I was working with that were a little less uh, wonderful about the experience because, you know, it impacted their jobs or whatever. But at least at the leadership level, like I'll always remember that that partner, his name was Massimo, wonderful guy. And and it, and it always it always sticks in my mind is like, that's how I would want to treat people like I say this to whenever somebody leaves and I and, you know, they're really great person at, at my company. I, I say this to every single one of those. I'm not mad. I am sad. But I'm not yeah. mad. And those are two completely different so emotions, right? Like, like, of course I'm sad. You're wonderful and you're leaving. This sucks. But yeah. if it's right for you, if it's right for your career, like, I, I can't be upset at you for it. I would do the same thing. So, you know, I, I just hope for the best in wherever your career goes. And maybe one day 
I'll, that's you'll so be good. a boomerang here. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, such powerful wisdom. We've talked about that on a couple of our podcasts at, at Porter Airlines when I was there. We knew people wanted to get to the big jets before Porter Airlines had the big jets. So we mm. actually celebrated and the people were going to the big jets and it created a pull strategy because people loved coming and working for us because they knew they were going to be treated well, supported in their growth. And, you know, that, and to your point, people came back, pilots would come back into Porter airlines later on after they were done flying the jets. And then we had this thing. So it's, you're right. It's just such a smart strategy. So it's something well, I think, really, yeah. so I was just going to say, I think McKinsey, I don't know if they still do this, but at least when I graduated and some of my friends went into McKinsey, they had a rule where it was like you, after two years, you have to leave McKinsey for, I think it was three years or something like that. The idea was that you, you know, as a consultant, they want the people that are going to be there, you know, for the rest of their careers to have other experiences. Mm. And so they they would, I mean, effectively, I guess, fire you after two years and wow. welcome you back two or three years later. I, I always thought, you know what, I don't know if that level of intensity of it is is the right move, but I thought it was an interesting leadership choice because it certainly, I mean, would, it would force people to go and get you know, uh, real. I think they really tried to get you like into businesses as an operator so that when you came back as a consultant again, that you could actually speak to the operator's perspective. And I always thought that was interesting. Sorry to, to cut you no, off, but uh, no, no, again, I think it's a brilliant strategy, not only from a learning perspective to make sure you, you understand from the customer's perspective, mm -hmm. but also deepening the relationship trust and the, the linkages, because if you got folks that are McKinsey trained that are now as a part of your organization, the likelihood of them hiring McKinsey down the line, yeah. like it's just, it's just <laughs> smart, smart all the way around. So and it's good for people that, that want to come into the organization that know that the organization is that healthy and that there is this freedom to come and go and gain more experience mm -hmm. and bring that experience back. I mean, it's just a big advertisement, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, let me ask one other uh, experience that you had. You've already started with sure. a couple brilliant uh, thoughts on on folks that uh, how they created the space for you to really grow and learn. Any others that pop up to you that that are really things that really made an impact on your life now that you reflect back of, uh, of leaders and what did they do and how did it impact you? Yeah, I mean, the answer is is definitely, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with different situations and different things that I that I you know would glean from them in different moments. I mean, maybe one that um, one that is is particularly memorable is this is going to sound this is going to be a, sound like a, a weird story. This is also Ernst and Young in my early. You know, this was my first quote unquote real job as a as a professional. And I don't know why this, uh, I always remember this and I try to remember this as now in, in, in the position that I'm in is I think it was like my first week of work and I went to the washroom and I was standing at the urinal doing what you do in front of a urinal and a senior partner walked in and also was standing at the adjacent urinal. And of course, you never want to talk when you're at the urinals. But once we got to the sinks, he just struck up. A, yeah, hey, how you doing? What's you know, uh, my name is 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 so and so. What's your name? Oh, it's your first week. How you doing? And what struck me about 
the experiences. I had this idea in my head of partners as like these, you know, big important people that were very serious and they can't, you know, you, you can't just talk about something random or silly with them. Um, but that was what that conversation was. It was nothing. It was, there was no significant insight in the conversation. Mm. It was just that the conversation happened. And I remember for all of the years that I was at Ernst & Young, anytime I saw that partner in the hall, like, hey, how you doing? Right. And it just created this really wonderful um, kind of casual relationship. It made me feel like, you know, okay, I can kind of just be a normal human being here. Um, and, and yeah. that, that always, that always stuck with me. So it's like, a, it's a silly, weird thing, but, um, one of, one of my friends who is also actually a, a, a career coach, maybe I'll give a quick shout out for, to his, to his book. Uh, his name is Steve Shedletsky. He just wrote a book called speak up culture. And we just had him mm -hmm. on our podcast actually to talk about this, but he, he always reminds me of, of this, which is, you know, some variation of as a leader, a whisper is a shout. And, and, and that's, you know, it's hard to remember because frankly, I still think of myself as the same bum I was 20 years ago. And I am for the most part, um, still the same bum that, that I am. I don't know if people will watch this video or if it's just audio, but I'm in my, my hoodie and my t-shirt and I will always be in my hoodie and my t-shirt, but that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Like your title impacts how people view you, whether you want that to be the case or not and i i really credit actually um um raw signal group if i don't know if you folks are familiar with them but they're like a um uh manager training group based in in toronto uh it's actually run by a, a husband and, and wife john and melissa and they really hammered that home to me when the, the first time that we met actually we recorded a podcast with them and i see it exist in real life in a way where people forget you you literally forget not of any out of any maliciousness or anything it's just you know you're aware of your own foibles and weaknesses and you know all the rest of it as a human being so you don't really see yourself as anything quote unquote scary but you realize that to a certain extent like the title will do that for you even if you're a perfectly I mean, hopefully I'm a perfectly nice person, but, um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the title will, will do that. And so you have to be really cognizant of yeah. how that kind of power dynamic is, is impacting how other people will react to you. I agree hundred percent. And I'll turn it over to you, uh, Alistair in two seconds. And just, you know, there's so much work these days about the importance of belonging and being seen. And mm -hmm. that's a beautiful example of just being seen and being connected because you think of the spin that happens in most of our heads and especially if it's your first week and your first job there's a lot of spin happening in your head on the in that in that week and someone just checking in and saying hey how you doing i'm such and such i'm this and it it creates the it creates the space of settledness and connection and belonging yeah. which fires you up obviously how many years later do you remember the washing of hands with the partner and how 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 huge that influence was. It's just well, amazing. I can tell you it was 15 years ago. Wow. So, I wow. <laughs> That's wow. how much of an impact it made just for yeah. for no reason. I still have the guy the, the image of the guy's face in my in my mind. And like obviously I think a bigger a big important part of that was ear to ear smile. It's yeah. amazing how much that that changes the perception of so you just feel so much more okay like i can approach this person because they're smiling yeah that's awesome you know we, we've talked about this in a whole bunch of different podcasts and 
you know, the influence as a manager or as a leader or whatever you are in your organization, like just walking down the hallway and saying hello to somebody, it means nothing to you. It means so much to other people. And, and if you want to be approachable, if, you know, Mm -hmm. you want people to bring ideas or problems, then you have to be approachable. And just something as simple as that is so powerful because a lot of people are very cognizant of the power dynamic and uh, they come into situations not knowing you. So their head plays a reel that probably isn't true. And the only way to break that cycle is to, to be approachable and come along and say, hey, how are you doing? You having a good day? Good. You're, it's your first yeah. week? Welcome. Welcome. I'm sure we're going to talk again. Take care. I think that's wonderful. We like to learn from good experiences and bad experiences, Michael. And without yeah. telling names or anything like that, because this is more about uh, the story and, and kind of the learning from it. <laughs> Has there been some experiences that weren't as enabling that that you learned from and have drawn from? A hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> for for our listeners, long, Michael just long, rolled his eyes. Got? Michael just rolled his <laughs> eyes. It's awesome. <laughs> how long you got? Um, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll 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 start with one one quick experience that I always thought was was. Um, well, it was memorable, I suppose. Um, that that is a really short story to tell, which is, um, I, I was I was at a consulting firm. I guess you kind of mentioned which one it was, so whatever. Um, and the 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 managing partner at the time, um, when you were for for those who've been in consulting, you know, you're you're either on a job or you're unassigned in the office, waiting for you know, especially as a junior consultant, just waiting for a manager or a director to come and say, "Hey, you, I need some help with something." And so when you're unassigned in the office, you really got nothing to do. You're just kind of sitting around waiting, waiting for work. And I remember this, um, this particular managing director, managing partner, whatever her, uh, her title was, would call your landline, like at your desk at 831 and at 529 every day to make sure that you were sitting at your desk to the minute of when you needed to be there, even though there was no work for you to do. So I'd be sitting there like literally reading a book all day. Cause I'm just waiting, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like I'm skirting my job. I'm just waiting for somebody to give me, give me a, a job to work on. But, you know, and so it's, it's that the, the kind of rigidity around that has always stuck in my head. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, for what, you know, whether it's better or worse, even before the pandemic, I mean, we were never the kind of company that was like, oh, you're here one minute late. I mean, if you have a meeting and people are waiting for you, then that's just um, disrespectful to not show up on time for the meeting. But, you know, I mean, like when you show up at work, eh, like as long as you're you're getting your work done and, you know, we had some some people I remember our our um, our, our first um, designer uh who's just w- wonderful guy one of those people that i had to say i'm i'm sad not mad and i still I actually had lunch with him like two weeks ago uh, just amazing guy and he just liked to work from like one to four in the morning mm-hmm. and so he came to me and he was just like can i do that and just come into the office at noon and i was like sure i mean heck you're a designer you're kind of working on your own do all your stuff in the afternoons that's collaborative with the rest of the team and that's how you want to. That's how you want to do it. Then, then do it. So that, so that's that's one that that certainly stuck with me. And I would say that the the startup I worked at before this, um, I learned not how to be a CEO, but I learned how to not be a CEO from the person that I worked for. And um, I mean, it was almost silly in the sense that, like, I went to business school, and you hear all of the the tropes of like what not to do, like the textbook examples of how to not lead people. And I'm sad to say that this particular person was like, check the box on every single one of 
of those things like you know placing blame when 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 something went wrong on anybody but himself taking credit for everything that went right and and not spreading that credit to anybody um you know uh really i mean so really i think the worst thing this person ever made me do was i had to hire somebody i was i was called the cfo coo of the company but i was kind of just like this was a startup so it was like Everybody was an engineer, and then there was me who was doing everything else. Uh, and this was in the early f- phases of the company. And so I, I I went to go hire somebody. This was all approved. We agreed we needed to go hire this person. It was a marketing person. We are all excited about it. Go through the whole interview process and everything. I have a final candidate I want to make an offer to. I go, and I get he approves. Okay, the candidate, great. Everything's wonderful. I go, and I give this person the news, and she's thrilled. Wonderful conversation. I hang up the phone. Um, or actually I think it was a, even a video call, even in those days, the pre pandemic days. Um, and then two hours later he comes back and says, yeah, I've changed my mind. I don't want to hire them. And so I was like, well, this is crazy. Like, I'm not going to go tell this person that I just offered a job to that we're rescinding it for literally no reason other than like you changed your mind this moment. Um, and I, at first I actually said like, I'm not going to do this. You're going to have to go do this. And then I rethought about that because this isn't the kind of person that would be very empathetic in such a Mm. situation. And I was like, I don't want to do that to this person that I just made the offer that that would make it even worse. Um, so I ended up doing it and it was, it was terrible. It was literally, I felt like the biggest jerk ever. Um, so I don't know. Those are a couple of stories that come to mind. Um, but yeah, I've I've learned as I said, I learned how to not. I'm still learning how to be a leader, but I at least learned what the heck to avoid. Michael, Michael, you've taken me back, and, and Greg and I have had a couple of these discussions uh, about people watching the clock. I had somebody that would uh, uh, be doing surveillance in the elevator lobby, and then and then there's always the office walkers, right? They walk around. Okay, this is the time every day that you walk around, like four thirty, five o'clock, whatever. And I love that thing about, uh, I, I don't know how to be a leader, but I know not what to do. Greg and I have shared this before, but I went on a management course and I'd already been promoted a year. It was, you know, is there's so much stuff going on. They finally sent me on this course. And one of the questions in the orientation was, uh, like, you're already out there doing stuff. Uh, how did you learn how to do it? And my answer, and I got in trouble, was, um, well, the last crew that managed me, I'm just doing the opposite. And it seems to be working out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in trouble, and then a couple other people kind of gave similar answers, and then we're, we were already off probation. There's nothing we, they could do to us, and we were, you know, we were doing the job well. But that that uh, some of the stuff that you're talking about, for sure, I think a lot of us have those types of shared experiences where I don't particularly know what I'm yeah. doing, but I certainly know what I'm not going to do. Yeah, and look, there's danger there too because um, I think to be to be frank, I mean, my my personality is very i'm a very direct person and um and i think from that experience what i learned was the right overall lesson but the wrong specifics where i stopped i out of an out of an attempt to be the opposite of that person i started to kind of let's call it pull my punches to such an extent where i actually wasn't giving people clear feedback and and look i think i still struggle with that because I know, you know, growing up, that was the, you know, the feedback, I guess you'd call it, uh, that I that I would get from lots of people, whether it was my family or my friends or whatever. It's like, you know, like you're being too harsh. And so I try really hard to not be harsh, 
but in doing so sometimes you know what's the uh what's the expression like being nice but not kind mm. um and and i think that i i i do have a tendency to this day to to do that and so i'm i'm trying really hard i'm you know working myself to try to figure out how do i be firm and direct but do that empathetically and do it in a way where i'm giving people the feedback that they need to improve while also not being a jerk and mm. sometimes that is a hard balance to we, we to... talked about this i think over the last couple of weeks greg about you know when you make an effort as a leader like we all don't have the special sauce like we, we're all working on ourselves and working on it the way we do it but if people see that we're trying to do it they will bridge that gap whatever the gap is in our skills and our approach or communication skills whatever it is people appreciate that and they will actually cross you know that no man's land and say oh yeah okay thank you and they will help you out in that conversation whatever it's about so that's kind of cool um has there been some stuff in your personal journey that has uh influenced your your leadership journey and 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 thoughts on leadership like you've shared a couple uh things already and I you've got so, so many rich stories i just want to kind of mine that a little bit more yeah i mean i think even what i what i just said i mean that one plays a real big role in my own psyche when i you know if i'm kind of sigmund freuding myself I sit there and I, and I like this is something I'm always really worried about is that I'm I'm being too harsh. I'm being too I mean look different people will use different words. I've heard the word passionate. That sounds great. Excited. That sounds great. Harsh? Eh, not so much. Uh whatever the opposite of conflict avoidant is, that 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 one is also one that I've been accused of. And and so you know, one of the things I actually this is a question I ask in in the interview process uh to people is if i were to um if i were to go speak to people who know you but don't know you really really well like you know acquaintances or something like that um and i try to actually keep it generally outside of the work environment what do you think if i talk to those people about who you are like what your personality is like whatever what do you think that those people's biggest misconception about you is and i suppose like what i'm trying to get out of that in that that question is is a couple things. Number one, are people self-aware? I, I like working with self-aware people. People who think that they don't have any weaknesses are, well, that's that's probably their biggest weakness. Um, but <laughs> on top of that, I guess my personal experience has taught me that the way that I exist in the world is different from the way that I exist in my head. And what I'm trying to understand in that question is what am I probably getting wrong about this person? Because if a random acquaintance thinks that you're, you know, like I've gotten people say to me before, oh, well, everybody thinks I have resting bitch face or I don't know if I'm allowed to swear here. I apologize, but you you're know. good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> we, we've been um, testing it out the last couple of weeks and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, you know, I, you, you you hear all sorts of interesting things where I just assume that I'm only meeting meeting somebody for 30 minutes or 60 minutes at most. Like, I'm not going to understand the holistic nature of who this person is. So what do people commonly get wrong about you? Because I probably am going to make that mistake too. So if you call that out to me right now, then maybe I won't make that mistake. And And I think a lot of that is driven from my own like I've given the answer for what to, to that question. Sometimes people will throw it back at me when I ask them for what their questions are. And my answer is, is pretty simple. People think that I'm stubborn. 
And people think that I'm stubborn because um, what's the what's 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 the line like um, uh, 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 strong beliefs held weakly or so, held loosely or whatever, uh, whatever. I for, I'm forgetting the exact the exact quote, but like, yeah, like I am down to go and argue to the death about something and then completely change my mind. If somebody convinces me of, you know, the merits of whatever their perspective is and people wrongly associate that with stubbornness. And that's not to say that I wasn't more stubborn as a kid and hopefully I've gotten a little less stubborn since. But um, that is my own my own personal experience of like, no, 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 like people have misinterpreted me so much because they see, you know, I'm, I'm direct and I'm loud and I'm in your face or passionate or whatever word you want to use. And the assumption is, oh, well, I can't change this guy's mind. He's just he's decided that's what it is. And there's nothing that's going to change his mind. Whereas I actually engage in that kind of discussion specifically so that somebody can change my mind. It's like if, if you can't, you know, argue with me about what it is that you're, you know, that you're trying to convince me of. If you can't convince me of it, you probably don't have a really good uh, argument to be had there. But if you can, then I sure I'll change my mind 100 percent. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of the purpose of it for me. But again, just going back to where we started here, not everybody is like that. And, uh, and, and so understanding the difference between what people think about themselves and what other people tend to think of them, I've always found to be a pretty interesting heuristic on, um, on what I might miscalculate about a, another person. I think it's a great question to ask. And, you know, when we, I do a lot of work around new leaders coming in and often, you know, as a new leader integration, having a circle dialogue around, Hey, here's how I show up. Here's how I think, here's how I approach things, being more vulnerable. Here's what I'm working on. And you know what? I know that I, I step into it sometimes and here's what I need from you. What do you need from me? And actually having that real conversation up front is so powerful because you're right. We interpret, we read things, all kinds of things based upon our own personal experience. My uh, there's, I just read a book called uh, Michael Singer and it's a little bit of a deep book. So it's uh, called living Untender. Michael Singer wrote this book called the uh, untethered soul. And mm. he's got this, he's got this, uh, his new books called living untethered. And his, his philosophy is that we actually have scars on our brains and our hearts. And, uh, and we're filtering through those scars all the time. So unless you can be more honest and authentic and upfront and have those conversations, boy, it makes so much things so much easier because then we yeah. can more honestly call each other. You know, we say, hey, Michael, I know you said sometimes you're a little intent. I one 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 guy who was really intent and he had yellow cards. You know, he played he played football, soccer. So he had <laughs> yellow cards that his staff could kind of throw the card out. He said, oh, man, oh, no, I've gone down the pathway. But it was humorous. And they laughed about it. And he knew. Yeah, I, I tell us, I, I tell a story. I'm a very high energy person. No, really? Really, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. I tell a story when I was at Campbell's Soup. I, I was I told I was talking about strategy in front of a whole bunch of people. And I left thinking that I just smoked it. It was like beautiful. And someone stopped me on the side and said, Greg, I love you. You got great energy. But you know that there's about a 25% of people spinning out of control because my energy was just too much. And how do I yeah. regulate that and be aware of it and be aware of my impact uh, versus my intentions? My intentions were were beautiful, but my impact, I was leaving people on the ground. So I love that, um, that yeah. insight about the question and also this uh, ability to be more vulnerable and more transparent 
about what I'm trying to think and what I'm trying to learn. So that's, that's, that is awesome. That's not the traditional wow. way though, right? I mean, you know, I think sometimes we are fighting against, you know, 20, 30 years ago still. And, you know, sometimes you hear somebody talking, oh, okay, we're back in the dark ages again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and no ego. I mean, uh-huh. one of the, one of the nicest things or not nice things, depending on your perspective, I guess, about doing my job of starting a company is that I've had lots of people tell me I'm an idiot and that I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and, and that, you know, makes your ego a little less fragile. And then on top of that, you over and over again are confronted with the objective reality that you have made a mistake, that you've done something stupid. And when you see that over and over and over again, you start caring a lot less about that. And so that's, I think that it's been a blessing to me as a human, um, not to my ego, but whatever, you know, that guy can, you know, add whatever expletive yeah. you want uh, after that. <laughs> so good. So good. Why don't we, why don't we shift to the next question, which is really about the startup space, which you just you beautifully segued into there. So uh, it's like, you've read these questions. No, uh, but uh, that was, that, that was fantastic. But that, what insights would you give uh, or lessons learned for folks that are on that journey of uh, founder, leader, you know, starting in that space? What are the, what are the things that you've learned from a leadership perspective that you, and there may be things that you've done really well or things that you've, you know, stepped in and think, oh man, I shouldn't have done that, but learn from it. What, what would be the, a couple things that jump up for you? Yeah. I mean, a lot there for sure, but I think um, one thing that's hard to remind yourself all the time, and I, I certainly have had many, many bouts of this, is that uh, I guess the again, I'm going back to a lot of good cliche lines here, but like, you know, what what got us here isn't what's going to get us there. Mm. And, you know, there in a startup, you're at a different stage of a, of the company every six months if things are going well. Um, we've been in the doldrums before where things aren't changing fast enough, and that's actually a bad thing. But certainly for us over the past three, four years, like we, 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 when the pandemic hit, which was what, just about three years ago, we were 11 people now or almost 70. And so it's been in those three years, the company is not only a completely different company to the company it was three years ago, it's been like six completely different companies. And the um the need to change you know even you know the the line like oh if it ain't broke don't fix it like that doesn't work because <laughs> it could not be broke for a 10 person company and then it's going to be really really broken by the time you get to a 15 or 20 person company and so you actually have to break it yourself because you're going to the next to the to the next stage and and that one's really hard because you know, I think as just as just human beings in general, we are creatures that we try things and then we think something works and then we kind of rest on our laurels and okay, now I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, you know, every every six months you are constantly under threat of not being good at your job, even if you were kind of good at your job six months ago. And and that one's particularly hard. I mean, when it comes to being a founder, somebody um, somebody said this to me once years ago, and it really, it really has hit home going through it myself, which is being a, a, a founder of a company is not a career choice. It's a lifestyle decision. 
it's not like it takes over your life entirely. It is not just about the job that you do. And now I, I have, I just had my second kid two months ago. So I've got two under two and like, it is legitimately, I mean, I don't know how people could ever do it with kids. I, I mean, some people have and kudos to them, but it's extremely hard without ignoring your kids or your wife entirely because it, it takes over your life. And um, so when people come to me and they say, you know, I want to, I want to be a founder, I, I say, are, are you know, are, are, are you stupid or ignorant or both? Because you kind of have to be a little bit of both to make it work right like you have yeah, to yeah. ignore the fact that the odds are completely against you you have to be you have to be um ignorant enough to not realize what you're getting yourself into so um the number one thing i i would say if people oh i want to go start a company it's like really like really what have the, what have been the one or two things that have allowed you to survive up to this point if there is cuz it's a rough road it's exciting, you know, to grow what you've grown uh, and it's, it's not an easy pathway, but are there, is there anything that jumps out to you that says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I had this or did this because that really helped me along the pathway. Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing is just good relationships in your life. Otherwise, like I've, mm -hmm. I've been with my, well, my wife was my girlfriend at, at the time and, you know, she's been incredibly supportive of that and understanding of the stressors of of it. Um, but also, you know, friends and all that. I, I got into business with my best friend and that can mm -hmm. go very, very wrong in a lot of instances. But we are extremely lucky. I've seen the company I was at beforehand had significant co-founder issues that really just tore the company in half because you're focused on all of these things that aren't value creating for the company. It's all, oh, well, you know, this person wants that and that person wants that and let's argue about it for whatever, uh, you know, um, I have been very lucky that, that my, my, my co-founder and I are still remain as close as probably even more close than we ever were because our whole lives are inter intertwined at, at this point. Um, but it, it, that that so that's number one it's the relationships mm. of people a second one that i mean i have survived i don't know if i've thrived in 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 this scenario you know I, when i see people that are like oh you know get all your exercise in and take care of your mental health and do all of that it's like yeah like ideally sure that sounds great um <laughs> yeah. you know when you when you add another 10 hours to the day let me know how to do that because otherwise I cannot accomplish all of this. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that I find very useful from a mental health perspective is, is mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that 10 years ago, I would have been the guy to laugh in your face and tell you this, you know, why, you know, that's, that's silly, you know, all, all of those kinds of uh, things. But um, I have definitely come to value that um, mm -hmm. immensely in, in my life. Yeah, beautiful. That's Go so ahead, that's so good, Michael. You actually answered our, our our next question as well. So I think you know, being respectful of your time and stuff like that, this has been a great conversation. But let's move into some final thoughts and just kind of your final <laughs> thoughts on some of the things that we've discussed here, and then I'll throw it over to Greg to give some of his final thoughts as well. Well, you're bringing me back to all parts of my career that I haven't been to in my head. Uh, uh, the doctor's very, office very is much. open. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I don't know. I one, I, I guess when I uh, I look at it now, and you know, obviously we're we're still building the team, and 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 it's changing all the time. We're changing how we do things, and 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 all of that. But there's there's something something that if I could recommend to people who aren't necessarily the CEO of an organization or, or anything like that. And, and this is something that I recommend only because I'm lucky to have this through more than one person in my organization is as a, as somebody who's at the kind of the top of the organization, whether that's a CEO or whatever that title might be, I'm constantly worried that I'm not getting the truth from people. Like I genuinely want to know when I'm screwing something up and all of that. And I also know that a lot of people aren't going to be honest with me about that. And um, the people who have shown a capability to tell me something I don't want to hear, like, but that, that, that I, I do want to hear, but that I don't like that. I'm not going to like maybe is the better way to put it. Um, those are the people that I tend to trust and rely on even more. And I remember my, my current chief of, of staff, her name is Pam. Um, she's been, she's worked with, with, with me for a really long time. And I think it's almost five years now. And I remember in her first week or something like that, I don't even remember what the feedback was, but she told me that I, that I did something that, that I shouldn't have done. Um, and I, and I remember the look on her face was like, okay, this guy's either going to fire me or this is going to develop a good relationship. And I just, from that moment on, I've been like, okay, like I can trust this person. She is going to give me the straight goods. And so, I mean, I can't even quantify the value that that has brought me, not just from that one comment, of course, but for now five years of having somebody that's going to tell me the truth and whose opinion I respect greatly. And so it doesn't mean we always agree. I and mean, a lot of times we don't agree. We're completely different people, but that's why it's valuable. I don't need to hear another Michael tell me what Michael thinks. I happen to know what that guy thinks too much. I hear that guy's voice all the time in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I want somebody else's uh, kind of genuine, authentic stream of consciousness. And it's not only Pam. I have many people. My my co-founder is, is you know my best friend, and so he I have that with him. But I get that with a, a lot of the people at, at at my company, and I'm very lucky to have that. And so for those listening, if you can be that person, now I'm sure there's the wrong leader out there who will be like, "Screw this person! I don't want to hear that. You suck. You're gone." But it's probably better if that person ends up firing you because then you'll go and find somebody better to work for. I really think you know that. I I assume maybe this is me being biased because this is how I feel, but the the best leaders are the ones that are going to be open to you telling them something that they don't want to hear. Not only open, encourage it. Like I fiend for it at times. It's like, I don't know. Like, how did I do? We just did an all hands meeting. I just spoke for a half an hour. Did I put my foot in my mouth somewhere? Did I like, what the heck happened when people are just like, Oh yeah, it was fine. It's like, talk about the worst feedback ever. So mm. anyways, that, that, that's something that definitely comes to mind um, because I'm sure it rings true for other leaders. I've got to imagine, but also it, it, hopefully it's actually practical feedback for those that are working with other people who they want to be that trusted person for. And you can't trust somebody if they're not going to tell you the straight goods. Gregory. Yeah, no, I love that. And that, that earlier story that I told around my great powerful speech and that type of thing, the person who came and talked to me had, had been with my was a junior HR person had only been with me for a month 
and wow. and from that point on she had a she had a nose ring and and she went to every meeting i went to and when my energy just started getting too wild i'd look over and she'd go like this and it was <laughs> like you said she would touch her side of her nose and like you said it was the most powerful and real thing and it helped me as a leader become so much more effective because yeah. she had the courage and I, I know I, I've I've heard three things that were bubbling up for me. One is your well, maybe it's two things. It's really curiosity, and uh, which a lot of your examples were about you just being curious and learning and open for the moment. And uh, and then the second piece is this courage aspect of being courageous enough to 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 um, be respectfully direct with your boss to say, hey, I'm noticing something. In our podcast, we talk about the three unarguable statements. I'm thinking, I feel, I'm sensing. Mm. What do you think? You know what? Those things, if you say, I think, I feel, I'm sensing, what do you think? That's a really safe, courageous way to share your insights. All they can say is, nope, I'm not feeling that. But you know what? If you're saying something, usually there is something there, and I'm going to ponder it. And uh, I, I love also just your your kind of your growth your willingness to shift and learn because sometimes we are going to make mistakes and there's nothing more powerful than coming back and say, you know what? I really messed up yesterday. Um, Especially if someone has told you and given guidance, then going back and saying, yeah, I'm learning. I'm, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Like that guy washing your hands. He was real. (laughs) And the power of being real as a leader is so much easier on yourself because you're not spinning plates so that, uh, you know, and, and it's so much better for your people. So I really appreciate this conversation, Michael. And I love your, I love your passion, your energy, your, your directness, but I equally love your openness uh, for discovery about yourself. So I really appreciate that. Oh, well, well, thanks. And I, you know, you're just, your second point reminded me of something that happened just this morning with, with one of my direct r- reports who, um, he wanted to hire somebody in, in, in his, um, in his department. And, you know, I was really pushing for a strong business case and, and all of that. And we, we went back and forth on it and it was a, a heated thing for about a month within our management team. And I was, I was just a, talking to him today. We went, we went for lunch and what he said was really profound in a weird way in that he said, well, you know, you guys were saying this, this or that, and it really felt like you were saying that we shouldn't hire that person. Um, like you were telling me to, 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 to get, get lost, so to speak. And I really liked that. He said, it felt like you were saying this. He didn't, because mm. nobody said, no, you can't hire this person. Um, you know, it was all an open dialogue around whether, whether we should or not, but he said it in a way that didn't get me on the defensive. If he had said, well, you said this, I just said, no, mm-hmm. I never said that. But no, he said, you know, what you guys were saying made me feel like this. Right. And and I was like, you know what? I can understand how you felt that way because, mm. you know, we were challenging. For sure we were challenging. So anyways, it was uh, – I thought it was pretty – pretty. Um, I don't know what the right word is, profound or, or, or mm. empathetic or, or whatever. He, he was, he was speaking in a way that, that really helped it get to a great conclusion of that, where I'm now recanting the story on a podcast, um, yeah. not four hours later. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And I, I really like this conversation. I really like the way that we've been talking about just having a conversation and not worrying about whether it's perfect or not, but having that conversation I don't like it, Michael, when somebody comes by. You know, no, it's fine. 
or they don't say anything. It's like, sucks. you know, if there's, if I have a hang, if there's something going on or I should know something, then just speak up. And you know what? We'll worry about whether anybody's feelings are hurt. Like, you know, Greg and I are totally opposite people, but, but I know that Greg will speak up and say something. And, and I will certainly say, you know, after I've thought about it, I don't have quite the energy he does. I'm a little bit more logical about things, but between the two of us, we can communicate and we both understand how we both approach things. Uh, and I just love that part that, you know, just tell me what's on your mind. And if, if I step out of line or I'm too uh, direct, which is probably my thing, uh, then just say, hey, listen, um, and let me sense that, you know, perhaps I'm being too direct with you. But I love that. I think just having a conversation with the people you work with and saying, hey, listen, if I'm over the top or if I'm too direct, then just let me know and we'll, we'll, we'll soften the conversation. We'll do whatever we need to do. I just like the idea that we can talk about it because that's not the way it is in the old school. Greg and I have talked. Well, that's the problem is that a lot of people won't. And when you find those people that will, mm -hmm. hang on to them. Yeah, well, Greg and I have talked and I've been in two huge um, communications lab because of, you know, went to school for social work and and some stuff. And you know, I learned so much from that. I learned, listen, Alistair, I, you've got a lot to go, but just you have to keep talking to people and even when they don't want to, and people, you know, you're right, Michael, people, sometimes people don't want to, they're afraid to go to that place. They're afraid mm -hmm, to have a, mm -hmm. a, a healthy confrontation and say, listen, Michael, you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And this is why, and you know, I know we both want the same thing and this is how I'm seeing it. And this is how I'd like to approach it. What do you think? And, and turn yeah. it into something better. So thank you very much for that. Listen, um, let's talk about LumiQ for a second. Um, I'll put, yeah. the, I'll put their, um, your website and your LinkedIn yeah, thing on the- L-U-M-I-Q-Learn.com, LumiQLearn.com. Check it out if anybody's a finance and accounting professional or just anybody. I mean, we've got lots of great learning that's just more, you know, uh, uh, generic business learning. But uh, for any of the CPAs out there, it, it's totally verifiable for all of your CPD needs. And, uh, and I think we've, we've created something that's, that's pretty unique because we've been able to get really wonderful leaders on, on the podcast to share what they're doing. Um, and I mean, heck our, our, our content really, really, uh, is, 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 has a lot of breadth to it. So, um, I'm sure it will be different from the usual, uh, continuing education experience that you are used to. Well, I'm going to endorse it because I've learned so much about Wrexham FC. Uh, I listened to <laughs> yeah, a, a, a scripted podcast. episode about it and uh, my wife checks the stats every week on that club. And I said, listen, I just listened to this great, like I didn't know the story. I have the story now. And and some of the things you offer, you know, that you get, people get their credits, but it's also good journalism. There's good stories and, and things that you know, you're not going to want to fast forward through it you're, or, or things like that. Like you want to listen to it. So, um, thank you, Michael. Uh, we're just going to go into a quick, uh, wind up, but thank you very much for your time. And, uh, uh, listen folks, we hope that some of what we have spoken about, you find helpful. We hope we didn't say anything that you found offensive or made you angry, but Greg, your philosophy, I think lands well on this episode as well. Yeah. At the end of each of our podcasts, we, uh, I share an insight that I got from an early coach. And she said, Greg, in our time together, there are going to be moments where you're going to feel crunchy, something, and maybe even a little peeved off, something we've said or talked about that, that's really kind of grumbling inside. And there's going to be times where you're going to feel joy, something that you're really making traction. But the crunchiness is also opportunities for growth. So we always hope on our podcast that we create a little crunchy 
and we create a little joy. And in both cases, take the time to reflect what does it mean, what can you learn from it, and how can you apply uh, both of those uh, both of those senses. So uh, we hope we did that a little bit here today as well. So uh, we have a couple shout outs for today, Greg. I know this is your favorite part of the of the uh, podcast. It is Berkeley Spring, West Virginia. Welcome to the club. The welcome. And Strasbourg, France. Welcome to the club as well. A couple of new members. Wow. We we uh, Michael we we you know we're we're uh, two guys having fun and having great conversations and we're struck by how many people from around the world listen and how common the themes of our conversation, so the things you've shared today as well. You know what? Whether you're a founder in uh, Singapore, New Zealand, or France, you're dealing with people. all detrimental to your health, no matter where in the world you're doing it. <laughs> that, 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 that. So, so all you global founders out there, what are you doing? No, but, but, but there's definitely common themes. And so we're, it, it's kind of cool when you, uh, when you get feedback from around the world that uh, people appreciate and are learning and uh, are applying some of the insights and thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We all share the same experience. doesn't matter what language, what country you're in or what it is. We all come across the same issues. So thank you very much, Michael. Listen, folks, take the time with the people you work with. They are an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.